Well, I want you to turn your Bible to Romans chapter 10. This is an exciting section of Scripture. It is a continuation of chapter 9. And we're going to come back to chapter 9 as we deal with the election and predestination in another time, at another time, not tonight. But I want to just lay on your heart a brief passage from the first few verses of Romans 10 related to what, matter of fact, I'd like to read from Romans 9 and go into chapter 10, beginning with verse 30, chapter 9, verse 30. May we pray together first. Our Father, we thank Thee for everyone present in this hour tonight, for the beautiful songs, and for the pre especially the presence of the Holy Spirit. We pray that He will have liberty and victory. May somebody who has never been saved come to Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In Romans chapter 9, beginning with verse 30, What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness? Even the righteousness which is of faith? But Israel, who followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness? And why? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. We talked about the stumbling stone this morning. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. I want you to look especially at verse 2. For I bear them record that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. He's talking about the Jews. In chapter 9, he says, is it possible? Is it possible that Gentiles and all of us in this room are Gentiles? Jews are those who were of their father Abraham, a different ethnic background. To the Jews, everybody who was not a Jew was an ethnos a part of the nations or Gentiles. <clears throat> Sometimes the Gentiles were looked upon as being dogs. I have great respect for the Jews. My Savior was Jewish in ethnic background. He was the son of Mary, humanly speaking. Mary was a direct descendant of King David. And I don't like jokes about Jews. I respect them. And anything I say tonight about the Jews certainly has nothing, nothing at all derogatory. But I want to tell you, Jews cannot go to heaven just because they are children of Abraham. Jews cannot go to heaven just because they are favored or the chosen people of God. I read in a newspaper article 
a criticism of our conservative position among Baptists because there was a man working for the Home Mission Board who taught that Jews didn't need the gospel because they would be saved because they were children of Abraham because they were God's favored chosen people that man is no longer working with the Home Mission Board since Dr. Larry Lewis went there Amen. and we thank God but that was one of the criticisms leveled at the conservatives by liberal groups I want to submit to you tonight Paul loved the Jews he was a Jew he said I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews touching the law I'm perfect I'm blameless but he said what things were important to me what things were very very precious to me what things would seem to be counted up on my side of the balance whereas dung refuse to be thrown in the sewer when it comes to weighing it in the balance of getting me to heaven and so in this section of Romans Paul is saying the Gentiles who were not the chosen people of God who had no dibbies on God's blessings so to speak but God loves all black and white Jew and Gentile male and female old and young God has no body that he he, he favors because of their face or their ethnic background that is not to say that the Jews did not have a very special place in the economy of God because they did but he's saying here the Gentiles who never even heard of that have gotten in on the righteousness of God which is a faith because they put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ and the Jews who could have done this he came unto his own Jesus he came unto his own and his own received him not but to as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God which teaches us that we are not saved we're not going to heaven because of our family background or because of how good we are or because of any good thing that God or man might ever see in us it is all of faith and then, Jew, then Paul makes this remarkable statement in Romans chapter 10. He's, he's sharing his concern. He said, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And then he says in verse 2, for they, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They've got a great zeal, but not according to knowledge. What is zeal? Enthusiasm. Excitement diligence energy they've got a tremendous amount of energy and excitement and enthusiasm but is zeal without knowledge one of the best illustrations I can think of in the Bible of this is a man named Ahimahaz let's say his name Ahimahaz Ahimahaz. And if you'll hold your Bible open to Romans 10, look with me please at 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 18. And I want you to look at this, verse 19. Chapter 18, verse 19. Now Ahimahaz was nobody's fool. Sometimes we lift that name out of the Old Testament and we sort of laugh and snicker because of what happened in this chapter. But, but do you know that Ahimahaz was a high priest? He was a son of Zodak. 
He was somebody very, very important. He was one chosen to carry the message. But listen to this. 2 Samuel chapter 18, beginning with verse 19. Then said Ahimahaz, the son of Zodak, Let me now run and bear the king tidings, how the Lord hath avenged him of his enemies. And Joab said unto him, Thou shalt not bear tidings this day, but thou shalt bear tidings another day. But this day thou shalt bear no tidings, because the king's son is dead. Then said Joab to the Cushite, Go tell the king what thou hast seen. And the Cushite bowed himself unto Joab and ran. Then said Ahimahaz, the son of Zodak, Get again to Joab. But come what may, let me, I pray thee, also run after the Cushite. And Job said, Why wilt thou run, my son, seeing thou hast no tidings? Ready. You don't know what's going on. But come what may, said he, let me run. And he said unto him, Run. Then Ahimahaz ran by the way of the plain and outran the Cushite. And David sat between the two gates, and the watchman went up to the roof over the gate of the wall and lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man running alone. And the watchman cried and told the king. And the king said, if he be alone, there are tidings in his mouth. And he came apace and drew near. And the watchman saw another man running. And the watchman called unto the porter and said, Behold, another man running alone. And the king said, He also bringeth tidings. And the watchman said, I think the running of the foremost is like the running of Ahimahaz, the son of Zodak. And the king said, He's a good man and cometh with good tidings. And Ahimahaz called and said unto the king, All is well. And he fell down to the earth upon his face before the king and said, Blessed be the Lord thy God, who hath delivered up the men that lifted up their hand against my lord the king. And the king said, Is the young man Absalom safe? And Ahimahaz answered, When Joab sent the king's servant and me, thy servant, I saw a great tumult, but I knew not what it was. Now let me just explain what happened there. Here was Ahimahaz a high priest, a respected man. David said, he's a good man. If he's coming, he'll know something. He, he's a chosen man. But Joab said, Ahimehaz, you can't run because you don't know what to say when you get there. You don't have a message. Ahimehaz said, well, let me run anyway. He was full of zeal. He was full of enthusiasm. He was full of energy. And he ran with all of his might. He overtook the Cushite. He came before David and fell down. And David said, well, what's the message? And he said, oh, well, sir, blah, 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 blah. I don't know what the message is. He said, uh, I saw a great tumult. I heard a great noise, but I'm not sure what happened. Now, Paul said, that's the way with the Jews. And not only the Jews, that's the way with a lot of religious people. They're full of zeal, and thank God for zeal. Have you ever seen anybody that's deadpan? Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm just glad you're here tonight. Let's turn to page 506, and we'll sing in a minute. And if you'd like to, you can stand up as you sing. Or you can sit down. It doesn't matter, really. On second thought, let's sit down so you won't get tired. You're so good. Bless your little hearts. On that happy golden shore. It's sickening, isn't it? Makes me sick to do it. I've seen deadpans try to do the work of God and it's terrible. God never intended us to be deadpan. He wants us full of energy, 
full of life, full of excitement. The king's business requireth haste. I was saying to some of the guys I was running the church tonight, I want to send you to Congress to pass a bill to make it illegal to drive so slow. Had a bunch of poking people in front of us. They drove about 10 miles an hour down a road you could go 50 or 60 on. You know, I think we need, we need excitement in what we do. We need to be enthusiastic about what we do. Thank God for enthusiasm and for zeal. But I want to tell you, zeal and enthusiasm is no substitute for knowledge. And Paul said the Jews, and he wasn't just picking on the Jews. He said the Baptists mm, and the Methodists and the Catholics and the Church of Christ and the Worldwide Church of God of Prophecy and the Assemblies of God. He said all of them have people in them that are running with enthusiasm and they have a zeal but they have no knowledge. That's a terrible problem. He said, my Jewish brethren have so much zeal, but they have no knowledge. In order to, to, to save time, I just have selected and, and written down some things that I believe will help us from this passage of Scripture that God, I think, has laid on my heart tonight. There's a problem. There's a purpose, and there's a plan. That's pretty simple. There's a problem. The big problem in life is sin. S-I-N. There's not anyone in this room who is exempt from that terrible problem. It's like a malignancy. It eats away at you. It's like some terrible Frankenstein-ish fingers that wrap themselves around your throat and squeeze out your life or wrap themselves around your life, your very body, and squeeze you like a cobra would do. Sin is a monstrous thing. And the Bible tells us to run away from it. Flee it. Now the Bible speaks of sin in three terms. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Lots of times we blame on the devil the things that are just our putrid flesh. Jealousy. Now there are people that are all taken up with demons. I believe there are demons. I believe the devil is real. I believe there are demons. But I don't think we need to look for the demons under the ever bench and in everybody's shoe. They say that jealousy is a demon. Well, that's just your, that's your flesh. Wicked, sinful flesh. Well, they say some people have a, a, a demon of uh, criticism. Well, that's just your own flesh trying to get yourself ahead of somebody else by tearing them down. That isn't a demon. That's self. And the Bible speaks of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I want to tell you tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we have to be on guard constantly about the world. The world's standards don't court its customs or follow its fashions. Don't try to be like the world. Let's see how far away from being like the world we can get. Amen. You know, I know uh, uh, a lot of you are going to get mad at me tonight. That's okay. I love you anyway. <laughs> Some of you ladies wear slits in your dresses. And now you know what you do? You just tease people with those slits. It looks like it's open. And it is open. And then you sew it down halfway so it won't look so bad. 
Why, you know why you do that? Because the world does it. That's the way the world. Ladies, you say, you're mad. Don't, don't talk like that. This bunch of ladies that came up here, they didn't say anything about that, but I'm sure they must have heard something about it at that conference. I hope you did. I want to tell you, ladies, don't see how close to the world you can live. See how far from the world you can be. This Bible is full of words that say, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. What is an inhabitor? An inhabitor is one who settled down to just be a worldling. This world's not my home. If you're saved tonight, my friend, this world is not your home. You're just passing through. Now, now listen carefully. If a, if a man or woman is here tonight and you're not saved, what I'm saying right now doesn't make much sense to you. You say, well, that preacher's just an old-fashioned fogey. That's right. That's, I understand why you think that. Perfectly understand. If you're saved, you dare not say that. Because you know I'm preaching what the Word of God says. The world is one of the chief enemies in a Christian's life to be like the world, to act like the world, to smell like the world, to do like the world, and look at Hollywood's standards and say, I want those standards for mine. That's treason to God. God never intended that. And so we have to watch that. The flesh... Our flesh is selfish. There's not a thing about us that's not selfish, except Jesus. When a baby first gets, gets here, that little baby's selfish. Comes to the world crying. And you have to go put a bottle in his mouth. Go pamper him, put him on your shoulder, burp him. Love him, help him, and so on. Why? Well, you say, he's poor little innocent baby. He's so innocent. Well, he's not all that innocent. He's selfish. And as he grows, he gets selfish-er. And selfish-er. And selfish-er. And if you don't curb that somewhere along the line, you're going to have a 10-year-old baby go, Because you never did curb it anywhere. What's the problem there? Selfishness. The flesh. And as that 10-year-old gets older into teen years, he wants to do whatever he wants to do. Mama says, you need to come home at 11 o'clock. Ah! I want to stay out as long as I want to stay out. You old man, you old foggy, old-fashioned. What's wrong with you? <laughs> you see, it's the flesh. You know why we have so many people living together who aren't married? It's the flesh. The flesh. You know why there are so many abortions? That's the flesh. I don't want to get embarrassed by this pregnancy. Or, I don't want to have the inconvenience of this pregnancy. Or, I'm going to cover up my sins so nobody will ever know. The flesh. And the flesh is selfish. And there's so many people who have a zeal for the world, a zeal for the flesh. And then the other third, the third problem is the devil. And I'll tell you, the devil has a heyday when we follow the world's fashions and customs and let our selfishness give way. Do whatever we want to do. Then the devil moves in, he tempts, he has his own way. See, there's a problem. That's what Paul's saying. He says that some have a zeal 
but they have no knowledge. There's a problem, a very severe problem. That problem is sin. And my dear friend, you're here tonight. God loves you very, very much, but you have a problem. You have a problem. That problem is sin. It is selfishness. There is no sin except self. You weigh that carefully. See if you can think of some sin that is not self. As long as self is on the throne, Christ has to be on a cross. But when you get Christ on the throne of your heart, self has to get on a cross. Amen. Crucifixion. Number two. Not only is there a problem, there's a purpose. I want to tell you tonight, God has a wonderful plan for your life. He has a wonderful purpose for you. He has a blueprint for your life. Everybody in this room, the little boy or girl, the biggest man or woman, God has a wonderful plan for your life. We talked tonight in the College and Career Training Union about the theme. Brother Bob Brown had written on the blackboard, The Tragedy of a Wasted Life. And I just got a hold of my heart as I looked at those words, the tragedy of a wasted life. And we thought together and wrote down thoughts. What is a wasted life? What does it mean? What are some examples of a wasted life? God has a blueprint. Somebody said Elvis Presley started out well. He started singing gospel songs. He ended up starting the sex revolution. A young girl wrote in an editorial in Detroit. Thank you, Elvis Presley, for coming to Detroit. I was pure until you came. The tragedy. I wish I had, I wish I knew, had those words. Oh, how tragic. A wasted, wasted life. Wasted years. How terrible. You see, God has a plan he has a purpose. He has something for you to do. <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you going to do about it? I want to tell you, young people, every young person in this room tonight, God has a wonderful will for your life. And He wants you to find what that wonderful will for your life is. Here's how to do it. So simple. Nobody can miss it. There's nobody in this room tonight who can miss the will of God for your life if you really want to find it. Nobody. Because God is more interested in telling you and showing you His will than you are in finding it. And here's how to do it. Number one, ask. <laughs> Just come, Lord. Lord, what do you want me to do? Lots of us are afraid to do that. Pray God call me to be a, go to Africa. I'm afraid God will make me sing in the choir. Well, I'm afraid God will want me to be a bus pastor. I'm afraid God will want me to teach Sunday school class. I'm afraid God will want me to become a Christian. I'm afraid God will want me to do some embarrassing thing. I'm afraid God will want me to be baptized. Whoa, whoa, I won't ask that. But I want to tell you, if you want to know the will of God for your life, ask Him. Just ask Him. Lord, what do you want me to do? On the Damascus Road, Saul of Tarsus, who had breathed out cruel threatenings against the church of God, was overtaken... He had heard a deacon give a testimony about Jesus being alive. And all the way to Damascus, he heard those words, I see Jesus, I see Jesus. And he's standing at the right hand of the Father. And ten miles outside Damascus, there was a voice. Nobody was around. There was a voice, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, who are you? Who are you, sir? And the voice said, I am Jesus, whom you persecute. 
You know what Paul said? Next words. He said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And God began to tell him. And one of the most famous men in all of history, Saul, now become Paul, the missionary. And God used him. You want to know what God wants you to do? I dare you to ask him. What does he want you to do? Listen, some of you have substituted sports and athletic contests for the real will of God for your life. I am not against basketball or baseball or softball or football or racquetball or any other kind of ball. I'm for them all. I told Chris the other day we need a ball team, baseball team. And I'm praying that we'll start that next week. If he'll do it, we need it in our school. Well, I'll tell you, you can get plenty of athletics and sports without one iota of compromise if you'll ask God about it. Lord, should I go soul winning or should I go to a tournament? Just that simple. <laughs> Lord, should I go and watch this guy aim and scream and jump up and put the ball in the basket or should I go and talk to somebody about Jesus? There had to be any compromise. I went to West Virginia last Friday and saw those crazy, crazy guys run from one end of the court to the other end of the court trying their best to get more baskets in the ball or more balls in the basket than the other team. And it was fun. But I didn't have to miss anything. If they were going to do that on Sunday, I wouldn't have done it. If they'd been doing that on Wednesday, I wouldn't have done it. If they'd been doing it on Thursday, we'd go soul winning, I wouldn't have done it. You see, you've got to have priorities. And you've got to decide, what is God's will for me? Lord, what will you have me to do? I ask you to, I, I beg you to ask God about it. He'll show you. He'll show you. I don't have any question about it. You just ask God, He'll show you. Secondly, if you want to know God's will, you really want to know what God wants you to do. Not only ask Him, but get your mind in neutral gear so He can talk to you and He can show you. Dr. Finley Gibson, the man that won me to the Lord, tells about how he wanted to be a movie actor. None of you in this room could have known him. He's in heaven now. But he made a dramatic impact on my life and on the lives of thousands of others. He would have been a good movie actor. Really good. He knew how to do it. One night at Washita College, he dared to ask God, what do you want me to do? He got his mind in neutral gear so God could show him what to do. You want to know God's will? God has a purpose for you. You're not an accident. That's the reason I don't believe in abortion. I don't believe you're an accident at all. I don't believe I'm an accident. I believe God planned it. I believe life comes from God. Lord, what do you want me to do? And then secondly, Lord, I'm going to get my mind in neutral gear so whatever you tell me, I'll be open to doing it. And then thirdly, watch for the open doors. Now, I don't think every open door is God's plan for you. Sometimes God opens four or five, or I don't mean to say God does it, but there are four or five doors that open all at one time. But God has one door He wants for you. I 
want to ask you if you're willing to go through those doors that God puts his green light in. Now for it to be from God and a green light it has to pass some qualifications. Number one, it can't be a compromise. You don't have to compromise to do it. Lord, should I marry Joe or Harry? Can't really decide. Or should I marry this guy that I think I love? Well, ask God. He'll show you. Get your mind in neutral gear so he can show you. And then, watch for those open doors and the door that opens. Be sure you've got God's green light. And he'll show you. He'll impress you. There'll be a strong impression. Either a yellow light or caution, question mark. And God says, wait, wait. Or there may be a red light and God says, no, no, no. Or there may be a perfect green light. God says, go. You see, there's a problem itself in sin. There's a purpose. God has something for you to do. Now, in order to get in on God's purpose, you have to get saved first. There's nobody who can really do what God wants him to do until he gets saved. I gave you the illustration of Paul. Paul was so mad at Christians, he didn't really want to go to church. See, really, he thought he was, he was all right with God. He thought he was doing God a favor and all the stuff he was doing. There are lots of people. Maybe somebody in this room tonight thinks you're all right with God. But you haven't been serving him. You've been out of fellowship with him. Something's wrong. You're not even sure what it is. You don't like to go to church. You don't ever go. You don't like to serve the Lord. And you, you have a hesitance in your Christian life or something wrong. Are you really sure you're saved? And when Paul got that straight, he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And God began to show him. Now, do you want God to show you what he wants you to do? Put your mind in neutral gear, ask the Lord, and watch for the green light. And last of all, not only is there a problem, and not only is there a purpose, but God has one plan that will accomplish that purpose. And that plan is His wonderful plan of grace. We're saved not by what we've done. We're saved not because I got religion. Years ago there was a little song was called the Gospel Boogie. Everybody's going to have religion and glory. Everybody's going to sing, be singing that story. Everybody's going to have a wonderful time up there. The trouble with that is a lie. Everybody isn't going to do that. There are lots of people not going to be in heaven. See, God has one plan. Just one. And that's his plan of grace. It isn't a plan of church membership. It isn't a plan of works. It isn't a plan of baptism. It isn't a plan of turning over a new leaf. It isn't a plan of trying, doing the best I can. It is a plan of God's grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. The only way a man can ever get from earth to heaven is through putting his trust in Jesus Christ. And coming and saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need God. And I don't want to be lost. I don't want to be purposeless. I want to be in the plan of grace. I want Jesus in my life. 
wonderful grace of Jesus reaching to the most defiled. Reaching up, reaching down, reaching out, reaching in. And God's grace is sufficient tonight. I love that verse in 2 Corinthians 12 that says, My grace is sufficient. You see, the Christian life begins in grace, it continues in grace, it ends in grace. You can't start the Christian life in grace and then say, well, I'll be saved as long as I do such and such and work this way and that way, or else God may turn the grace faucet off and I'll be lost. No, it, all start, it starts in grace. It continues in grace. It culminates in grace. And someday when we stand on the other shore and we stand in the presence of the Lord, we'll sing that story, Saved by Grace. Now I want to know tonight, are you under the grace of God? That's what Paul was talking about. He said they have a zeal, but they don't have any knowledge. They don't know the grace of God. They think they're okay with God because of who they are. They think they're okay with God because of the way they were born. They think they're okay with God because of the way they live. They think they're okay with God because they, nothing ever bothers them inside. When all along they are filled with zeal, but no knowledge of the grace of God, and they're hopelessly lost. Hopelessly lost. My friend, tonight in this room, there are two classes of people. Those who are under the grace of God and those who have done despite the grace of God. All day long have I reached out my hand to you, God says. But you've said no, no, no. I want to ask you tonight to hasten to Jesus. Come just like you are. Just say, Lord, if I've never been saved, really saved, genuinely saved, so that I know for sure if I died tonight, I'd go to heaven. If that's not true in my life, then Lord, I want to be saved. I don't want to be lost. I want to be saved. I want God in my life. I want to be under the grace of God. What is grace? It is unmerited favor. God doesn't love Brother Johnny because of who Brother Johnny is. God doesn't love Richard Oldham because of who Richard Oldham is. God doesn't love you because of who you are. He loves you because of Jesus. He loves you because you are nothing and I am nothing. And when we get to the point in life where we see ourselves as nothing and we see ourselves as a sinner, then God can do something for us. <clears throat> if I'd had longer, I wanted to add one more thing. There is a potential in every life. And you see... God's plan reveals the potential in your life. You have tremendous potential. There's gold in this auditorium tonight. There's pure gold. A young man here, a young woman here, a boy here, a girl here, an adult here, adult there, who if you would just really sell out to Jesus Christ, you would be pure gold on the altar for God. And God could use you. And He wants to use you. But it all begins in grace at the cross where you come and say Lord I need you I need you what can wash away my sins nothing but the blood of Jesus what can make me whole again nothing but the blood of Jesus have you had the blood applied to your heart tonight you say well preacher I'm really not sure what you're even talking about but I want to ask you do you know for sure you'd go to heaven if you died right now? If you do not, then you need God's grace. 
You need God's forgiveness. You need God's cleansing. And He can give it to you. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Our Father, we thank You for this wonderful passage of Scripture that reminds us some people have a zeal but no knowledge. They're excited about what they're doing, but it's not in the will of God. Oh, our Father, we pray that tonight someone would open his heart to Jesus and be saved. God grant that. In Jesus' name, amen. May we stand, please. What song? 249. Look in your book at 249, please. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. Now here's what I want to ask you to do. We're going to be singing this, and I'm going to be standing down here at the front. If you're willing to give your life to Jesus tonight, I'd like to ask you to come. I'd like to have a word of prayer with you. As you say, Lord, I need you. I want you. Now, if you're lost, you've never been saved, you need God's grace. Would you come to Him just tonight, just like you are? If you're already saved, have you really sought earnestly God's plan for your life, God's will? Would you come and say, I want God's will done in my life? I'm willing. I want it. Whatever the Holy Spirit has said to your heart, do it while we begin to sing. Will you come for Jesus tonight?